old man that you'd have died in the cave of skulls if he had hadn't made fire oh, for you. I, I... And what about what we went through against the Daleks? Not just for us, but for you and Susan, too. And all because you tricked us into going down to the city. But I... I... Accuse us? You want me to down on your hands and knees and thank us? Gratitude's the last thing you'll ever have, or any sort of common sense, either. Hello everyone, and thank you for joining us on a quick trip through space and time. My name is Mac. And I'm Caleb. And this is a podcast where a Doctor Who veteran and a Doctor Who beginner go through each episode of Doctor Who and give their thoughts on it. This week we'll be watching The Edge of Destruction. The Edge of Destruction was directed by Richard Martin and Frank Cox, written by David Whittaker, and produced by Verity Lambert. It went. It aired uh, February eighth, nineteen sixty four, through February fifteenth, nineteen sixty four. So, Caleb, are you relieved that we are watching a much shorter episode this week? Yes, though I still feel like they're somehow gonna fuck up the pacing. I don't know what it is yet, but I already have the suspicion. I mean, who knows? Um. I don't think this isn't spoilery at all, but I do have it listed in my trivia. Um, so apparently, when they first they first started the show, the creators only had four episodes commissioned. But halfway through *An Unearthly Child*, that number was up to thirteen. So by the end of the Daleks, they had two more episode slots. Except, and they had several different scripts that they could work with. But they had no scripts that were only two episodes long. And uh, the previous two stories both went over budget. Uh, So David (laughs) Whitaker wrote a script in two days that fixed both of those problems. (laughs) Oh boy. Now I'm really excited. (laughs) So we are about to watch a script that was written in two days that will either be really good or really bad. I, I will reassure you, based on what I vaguely remember of uh watching watching these this era and uh the fact that there were some episodes that i just straight up couldn't watch because um episodes were lost i do remember the age of destruction being one of if not my favorite episode from the hartnell era we'll see if that holds up (laughs) yes i suppose we shall see but caleb given everything you know about doctor who and given that the episode's title is the edge of destruction and given that we know that it's only two episodes long, what do you predict this episode is going to be about? I believe that when the time travelers tried to escape the Dalek planet, some thingamajig broke on the TARDIS, and now they are caught in a wormhole spiraling towards the edge of the universe, and thus existence. From what I remember, that's pretty accurate. More accurate than you were about your prediction about the Daleks. Hey, I, I'm going to say that the Dalek prediction was a strong 50% on the money. Strong 50%. It was definitely about a post-apocalyptic post-apocalyptic planet that had the Daleks seeing the humanoids on site saying, hey, let's kill them. Yeah, Wally monsters. <laughs> they were not picking up trash, however, and they were not on Earth. So you only get 50 points. 50%. <laughs> well, I suppose with all of that... 
we will see you all in the future. Let's get going. back it may have just been a couple seconds for you but it was about a little over an hour for us yeah a little over an hour time's funny like that um so before we get into it caleb just overall before we really get into it i know you talked about it a little bit before we started recording what'd you think um i'm gonna describe myself as really confused I might, I might just be stupid. I might have just spaced out for a second and like missed like a critical plot point. I don't think you're stupid about this episode specifically. It is very, it is a very confusing episode in general. We'll, we'll get, <laughs> we'll get into it. I have opinions. I have thoughts, but uh, just to know, I'm, I'm glad you clarified that this isn't the reason you think I'm stupid. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, no, you know, you're not stupid. Because you don't get the episode. <laughs> I had to, I had to qualify, Caleb. But I didn't want you getting too big of a head. <laughs> Before we get into the recap, uh, this is the first mention that, or first hint that the Tardis that the Tardis might be sentient, and that this will come up. This will be a plot point that's brought up several times throughout the series. I wrote this is the first mention, but really, it's the m- first hint that the Tardis was stolen. Like, just during the Doctor's, like, ramblings while he was half-conscious. This is also the only Doctor Who story to date that just features the Doctor and his companions. This There is, in every other episode, there is at least one other character. Hmm. This is the first, and arguably only, depending on your perspective, episode that takes place 100% within the TARDIS. And this is also, you're going to love this one, this is also one of the very, very few episodes in which not one single character dies. Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) I considered keeping, like, a body count when we first started, but I was like, no. No, the number's going to be way too high. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so go ahead and take us away, Caleb. Okay, you'll know I got confused at some point because I just stopped describing certain events. (laughs) So here's my synopsis of The Edge of Destruction. After everyone falls unconscious on the TARDIS, Barbara and Susan awaken and try to help the doctor, who cut his head when he fell. Everyone appears to be struggling remembering everyone else or what happened. After helping bandage the doctor, Susan tries to touch the command console, only to fall unconscious. When she awakens, she nearly stabs Ian with a pair of scissors before fainting again. As the group discusses what to do next, Susan overhears Ian warning Barbara not to tell Susan that they think someone, or something, has gotten onto the ship. When they determine nothing is wrong with the ship itself, some bizarre events start occurring and the group begins to turn on each other. The Doctor accuses Barbara and Ian of sabotaging the ship and threatens to throw them out. After a brief struggle, they realize that only people who touch the console act strangely. Barbara reasons that the ship has some sort of sentience and is trying to warn them of the danger they are in. 
The power supply of the ship appears to be on the verge of overload, and the doctor discovers it's because his literal go-back-in-time button was stuck. He fixes it and everything is fine, and he apologizes for being a dick. Then the travelers find themselves on a planet covered in snow, but some something larger appears to be on the planet with them. Okay, yeah, so that's that's pretty much what happened. You said um, you said before we started recording uh, that instead of breaking it up episode by episode, you're just going to do it all in one go, um, which I think might have been probably for the best because this episode definitely does blend itself in together. Mm-hmm. So my first note is very very scientific it's very deep and analytical uh and that note is that man barbara's pants are really tight at the beginning of this i don't know if she like borrowed an outfit from the thals or something but they're working (laughs) (laughs) uh those are the thal pants i i will never forget those pants and thinking why are there holes in those pants (laughs) because Glad we t- I'm glad we uh, cleared that up. <laughs> it's funny because I also thought the same thing. Yeah, so they... Yeah, this episode is weird. This I'm still putting it at like the top of my ranking right now, but I can definitely see it being dethroned from the top. Yeah, they, they wake up. They don't seem to quite remember each other, or at the very least. They don't seem to understand where they are because like Ian makes the comment of like, oh, you're working late. Miss Wright, something has clearly affected their minds. Yeah, and Barbara does something like right at the beginning. She's like looking at Ian in the chair and she's like, Mr. Chesterton. Yeah, like they hadn't had their time in the TARDIS yet. They were, act- they were acting as if they were still just co-workers. Uh, at least that's how I read it. Yeah, that's how I read it too. Ian then checks the doctor's vitals and mentions that his heartbeat is regular. And uh, <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of funny because... At first, I was like, "Oh, there's a there's a plot hole," but then I realized that it might be a, like might be the tar the TARDIS discombobulation that they're suffering from because I know it hasn't been revealed yet, but like the Doctor has two hearts, like their species has two hearts. So like Ian checks his vitals and sees absolutely nothing wrong. Spoilers, Mac. Jesus. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry that I spoiled a slight part of the alien anatomy for of the Doctor. I guess, which is a big deal. <laughs> I don't remember what she says about it. I think Susan said that something may have gotten into the TARDIS. And Barbara says, but that's not possible. And that line really fucking bugged me. (laughs) Because she's sitting, she says that line while sitting in a spaceship that can travel through time and space that's bigger on the inside after she just got done embarking, disembarking from an alien planet filled with walking, talking, well, not walking, talking uh, trash cans that could kill on sight. What the fuck does she know about what's possible or impossible anymore? Exactly. Also, the doors were wide fucking open. Of course yeah. they could just walk in. What doors were about, open, Barbara? Barbara. What do you mean it's not possible? That's that's something that bugged me too, is like the doctor was also very, very adamant that nothing could have gotten onto his ship. Motherfucker, Ian and Barbara got into your ship. I'm pretty sure if Ian and Barbara could get onto your ship, something a little bit more intelligent can too. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> now, to be... Yeah, this is actually when the episode was kind of interesting to me. Um, I would say when I was... The, when the mystery was still there? 
Yeah, like the first like 15 minutes of this whole story, I was like, okay, okay. This is like the precursor to Alien, basically. I was like, I can I can fuck with this. I can get down with space and time xenomorphs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then it ended up very much not being that at all. And yeah. I and I just this is what I mean, like I just was really confused. Uh I guess we'll get into that in a little bit, but they wake up, they don't appear to remember their adventures at all. And then that whole plot point just gets dropped and never even remotely addressed. Yeah, that was probably the most frustrating thing about the episode is that they set up just like this really cool scenario, this really cool mystery. You know, Susan is lying down on her bed. Those are some fucked up beds if those are their beds. Barbara is like, how could it have gotten in or where would it even hide? And then uh, Susan is, like, inside one of us. That That's kind of where I thought it was going at first. I thought that, like, something had infiltrated the TARDIS and just, like, body snatched them. Yeah, and that's that's kind of what I was implying. It's like, you know, they're complaining about the neck pain. They're acting weird. Susan goes, like, full serial killer for, like, two minutes. Yeah. Uh, so I was like, okay, there's some, like, crazy alien parasite. That's kind of cool. And then... Yeah, I thought it was, like, some sort of possession and... The TARDIS wasn't, like, budging or whatever because it recognized, like, white blood cells. Like, it recognized there was some sort of infection in its crew, so it didn't move. But, like, that's not what happened at all. They they throw out the idea that maybe they're possessed, and then that's it. I hope you guys weren't too invested in that plot thread because <laughs> it nothing happens. It's the one of the first things you notice where, like, yeah, you can tell the script was written in two days. Yeah, because it clearly didn't have an editor look over it too closely. <laughs> the The stinger at the end of episode one was that Ian had gotten up from his sleep because, like, the doctor had checked to make sure everyone was asleep. And then he went over to the console and then suddenly someone was, uh, was like, grabbing at him. And... The stinger at the end of episode one, like, someone grabs at the doctor, and then at the beginning of episode two, you see that it was Ian. And so it almost feels like maybe it jumped hosts, or maybe it multiplied, and now it's infecting more than one person at a time. But, no. Susan freaks out at first when Ian comes into a room and says, yeah, uh, your grandfather is checking the controls, and Susan just, like, flips the fuck out and runs into the uh, main room and tells him not to touch anything. And he's like, and the doctor is standing nowhere near the controls and is just like standing there with this air of, aha, I've caught you kind mm-hmm. of thing. And so it it's like, but the reasons, but then it finds out that the reason Susan didn't want the doctor to touch the controls is because she passed out when she touched it and then with the stinger of episode one and the start of episode two you find out that ian wasn't attacking the doctor he was pulling the doctor away from the controls because he knew that something bad would happen and it's disappointing it's really disappointing yeah yeah it really is because like i said the first 15 minutes i wouldn't say i was liking it but i was i was curious i was intrigued "Hmm, yeah yeah yeah, let's see where this goes and yeah i just totally derailed i think it's in that scene too where um 
Susan freaks out and goes to stop the doctor. Uh, and then she's like, well, because something bad happened to me. And again, he's already got this air of like, I caught you. It was like, I, I, I don't know. It seems like he was trying to set a trap for Susan. And then he just yeah. flips and he's like, it was you and Barb. And I was like, what the fuck? Yeah, that, that's what I mean. It feels like whatever got into the TARDIS was jumping from host to host and like ramping up their uh, their paranoia or their or just like their psychoses just up to a million. That's what it felt like was happening. But no, it was just the TARDIS crew being stir crazy i guess i don't know yeah i i I don't know and like it's not that i would didn't buy that they would would wouldn't turn on each other like yeah i like that facet it just seemed weird in the moment and then it 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 wasn't justified i guess like i don't know we didn't build up to it properly and there was no real payoff especially when you realize that it was the doctor's fault like fucking everything is yeah yeah one thing um, that I will say in this whole story's uh, favor is that it does a really good job of capturing this episode almost feels like a dream mm-hmm. like it captures what it feels like to be in a dream like there's this sense of paranoia there's this like every everything's just a little bit off like them going on all these adventures and then Ian going Oh, you're working late, Miss Wright. Like, that seems like something that's right out of a dream. The whole thing feels like a dream and also makes about as much sense as one. This episode Mm -hmm. feels like doing the recap of the episode feels like waking up and telling someone your dream and then like halfway through realizing that your dream makes no fucking sense. Because like, and then suddenly Abraham Lincoln was there, which totally made sense in the dream. But now that I'm saying it out loud, I don't know why he was there either. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it was just really... Uh, I, I feel better because like, I honestly just thought it was like stupid. And I just like spaced out for a second and like, missed the major plot point. But <laughs> No, no, I don't, I, don't, I don't think so. And, you know, I've been keeping track of if, if Susan freaks out in every story... Um, this episode is basically just one long Susan freakout, so I'm counting it. <laughs> yeah, so we're only counting one, and not each time she like fell and collapsed. And <laughs> I, I'm just, I'm just checking to see if she, if she does have a freakout in every story. Oh, okay, then yeah, because then I'm pretty sure she does. That being said, in this first episode is probably one of my favorite scenes so far in the episodes we've watched. In that. The doctor is like accusing Ian and Barbara of fucking with his ship, and is uh, is like, "This is all your fault." And then Barbara just fucking goes off on him. She's like, mm-hmm. "Fucking our fault! You take us from our home. If it wasn't for Ian, you never would have gotten out of the Cave of Skulls, and you'd be dead. The only reason that we had any sort of problems on Scarrow is because you sabotaged the ship, and you have the." balls to tell us that it's our fault fuck you no i I agree barb had boss bitch energy this episode and (laughs) i I was finally here for i was like yes barb is an actual person now (laughs) yeah this this is the barbara that i remember the that she's actually like finally standing up for herself especially later in the episode when um the doctor comes to apologize and she's still just mad about it i was like i'm here i'm here with you girl yeah yeah good. i'd be don't, pissed too don't don't forgive him 
Isn't it weird that like we're totally against the character the show is named after? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, the, you know. the doctor straight up feels like an antagonist. In this episode, he's probably the closest thing to the like a, a villain of the week that the show has right now. Like, there's no Daleks. There's no Cal. There's nothing. It's just like the biggest antagonist is the doctor in this story. And I still feel like you can make the case that the doctor is still the overarching villain of the series <laughs> so far. Yeah. He's. He's a villain who has a good redemption arc, which is my favorite God. type of character. <laughs> I hope. <laughs> oh, man. It's, yeah. So we got to talk about the way that, A, this, after the first episode, the total and complete tonal shift and genre change, I feel. Hold on. I do have a couple of notes for the first episode. They are all really stupid, but <laughs> but I do want to bring them up. <laughs> There's a scene near the beginning when everybody's still, like, groggy and out of it, where, like, the doors open, and then Ian, like, walks towards it, and then the doors close, and then Ian walks away from it, and then the doors open again, and then Ian (laughs) walks towards it, and they close again, and I was getting such strong that episode where Spongebob is trapped in rock bottom vibes... (laughs) <laughs> where like every time he goes near the bus it it drives off and then like he <laughs> he reaches towards the candy bar and, it, and it's just like clearly getting ready to go that's what i felt <laughs> in that episode in that part where ian just <laughs> walked back and forth from the <laughs> another thing that doesn't get explained yeah and um there's a part where like after barbara's fucking blown up at the doctor he leaves the room and then comes back with a tray full of drinks. And I just wrote down, ah, oh, man, those drinks are so poisoned. Holy <laughs> shit. You do not hold a tray like that towards people you don't trust with a look on your face that you have and you haven't poisoned them. That's just... <laughs> I very much thought the same thing. Okay, and also, sorry, is that all your notes? That's all my notes for episode one. Continue. Uh, this is where I started to lose track. Is this the episode where they see the clock and they get confused about time? Because this is the other moment that really confused me in the episode. Like, Barb turns around and there's like a melted, like, Big Ben, it kind of looks like. And then... I'm not sure if it's episode one or two. It doesn't really matter. It's a weird fucking moment. I, I was I was straight up confused. I was like, I've never seen that thing before in my life. And then is Ian's watch blurry? I think so. It's it was really difficult to convey with just like the limited camera quality that they had in '64. So it's like here's my interpretation of it because that that clock that like clock tower thing has been there the entire time. Like it's been in the background. It's been one of the decorations in the main TARDIS chamber the whole time. But the clock was melted or it was broken or something and ian and barbara and susan's watches are also broken and this was apparently enough to cause barbara to just scream bloody murder and throw herself into a nearby chair quite frankly i don't know how clocks work inside of a time machine anyway (laughs) The fact that this is the first time they've noticed that the clocks are broken is miraculous to me. 
I was just as confused as you are. I have no idea what that <laughs> moment was supposed to be. <laughs> okay, good. Because I, I, I literally thought I had missed something. Because I was like, I, I have no idea what they're looking at. I have no idea what time has to do with anything right now. They kind of, they, they kind of explain why it's broken later. They don't explain why the fuck Barbara threw up a lung screaming because the clock was broken. <laughs> okay. So I, I I think at this point now we can kind of transition into episode two and the total like genre change and total shift. Yeah, I I think I know what you mean, but what do you what do you mean? Well, I mean like it goes from being like this like really moody. Oh, on this note too, like the sound, like the music for episode the first part of the episode, great. It's got like this like Hans Zimmer vibe. It's really ambient and oh, I liked it. So it's got this kind of like horror feel to it. Mm-hmm. And then it just shifts into like dreamy time travel sci-fi. Uh, yeah. Because no no longer is there anything on the ship or weird parasites. The TARDIS is just going back in time. Again, overloaded by back in time energy and creation. Yeah, then the doctor fixes his button and <laughs> problem solved. Yeah, because the issue, the issue before was that the, uh, the fault locator that's in the TARDIS, um, which tells the doctor when and if something is wrong in the TARDIS, nothing was happening to it. And then all of a sudden, everything was happening to it. Like, everything was going off all at once. And that's what convinced the doctor, oh, wait, it's not it's not human error, it's machine error. And so he stops accusing Ian and Barbara. First, first question, what if there's a fault in the fault locator? Does the fault lo- locator tell you that there's a fault in the fault locator? <laughs> do you have to have a second fault locator specifically for the first fault locator <laughs> I, I i really wish or hope that that's an episode where someone just asks what if the fault locator is broken and the doctor's just like that would never happen <laughs> <laughs> so what what if the fault locator was broken doctor and then he just like raises his head from the console and just like my god <laughs> <laughs> that explains the last 60 years <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it definitely goes from suspenseful sci-fi to another fun sci-fi adventure romp, I guess you could call it. Yeah, I don't even know what to call it, but it's definitely not what the first episode was. Yeah, it's definitely a tonal shift. This, I guess I'll save this for final thoughts, but I think it's really funny that the Doctor is so quick to jump to accusing Ian and Barbara of tampering with his ship. It kind of reminds me of, uh, of the saying that... Uh, uh, people who cheat are the most likely to accuse people of cheating because the doctor literally just got done tampering with his ship for his own selfish means and now he's accusing mm-hmm. Ian and Barbara of doing the exact same thing at one point uh, Susan has another freak out because she doesn't really stop having a freak out it just kind of spikes here Carol Ann Ford looked like she was constipated like that's the mm-hmm. only way I can describe it she looked like she was just trying to hold it in as much as possible yeah she did and I, I, at first I thought that was like the point and then it ended up not being a parasite thing so I was like why does she look sick still yeah so they say yeah they, we've already established this but like they say no inte- no extra uh, terrestrial intelligence has gotten onto the ship but man everyone was doing a really good job of acting possessed in the first episode mm-hmm and then it was <laughs> This was the I'm sorry. This was the stupidest fucking explanation ever. The they went through all of this and the button was stuck. What the fuck? That's it. The what? button. 
the button was stuck. He pressed the button that makes them go, because uh, Scarrow was back in time. Scarrow was in the future, so he pressed the button to um, make it go to the past and land it and try and land on Earth. But he overshot it because the button was stuck. The literal go back in time button. Yeah, they ended up at, I guess, the Big Bang, I guess. Yeah, it said the it said it was the creation of a solar system. Yeah, the beginning of our solar system, and it was just like freaking out because a literal galaxy was being formed around it. So the TARDIS didn't really know what to do. Which, first of all, I think that's really cool. I think it's really cool that like, oh shit, we just landed in the middle of a black hole. Everybody hold on to something. I think that's neat. It's the button being stuck part that really bothers me. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Um, I'm I'm really mad at at just the the idea that there is a literal go back in time button, and the longer I hold it down, the farther back in time I go. You know, I'm surprised that that's what you're mad about, and you're. Not... I mean, I'm mad about it a lot of things. But... I I'm surprised that you're not mad at the fact that they have that. I forget what the sh- what the shift what the switch is called, but like the let's just call it the go back in time button. They basically have the go back in time button written sharpie above the <laughs> go back in time button. Well, that okay. We're uh, you, you kind of applied this earlier when you said that like it implies that the TARDIS is sh- stolen. I have gotten the vibe literally the whole time that the Doctor has no fucking idea how to work the TARDIS. He doesn't. He absolutely... <laughs> he's been guessing this whole time. And that's what's really bewildering to me. That's actually going to be like a plot point later, and it's like a point of pride for the Doctor, because his companions are constantly accusing him, you don't even know how to fucking fly this thing. And he's just like, don't know how to fly this thing, don't know how to fly this thing, I'll show you not flying this thing. And then he takes them to the wrong place. <laughs> <laughs> perfect because like that, at the end of this episode, that is a running gag in the, in the show <laughs> at the end of this episode when um barbara is like very justifiably pissed off and the doctor's like coming in and apologizing he's like oh we're on a new planet it's covered in snow i and barbara's just like oh well, let's go outside and check it out i would be like excuse me what the fuck did you just say to me because I really hope you just said we're in London circa 1960. <laughs> because anywhere else, I will literally fucking kill you. Oh, cool. We're on, an, we're on an alien planet that's covered in snow. That's awesome. Let's go again. Let's not leave the TARDIS until you get it right this time. <laughs> uh, Give it so enough yeah. time. I'm sure you'll land there. Obviously, we've got plenty of it. So just keep doing it. Also... You said you said this a couple times, but like when the doctor goes in to apologize to Barbara, he never apologizes to Barbara. At no point does he say the words "I'm" and "sorry" right next to each other. He does not apologize. He just like explains himself and like compliments her on her work because she figures out that the TARDIS is trying what the TARDIS is trying to tell them all that the TARDIS is like, hey assholes you're running out of time you need to do this and so it's because of barbara that pe- that the people are saved um and so he compliments her as he should he should compliment her but 
he never apologizes. And it really bugs me that he doesn't. It's very much in line with his character, though. It is. It is. Because he doesn't, apply, he doesn't apologize for anything. Period. He's like, hey, that time, you remember, we almost got murdered by robots because I lied about the TARDIS? Wasn't that weird? Anyway, let's go play in the snow. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's just it just reminds me of, like, people who are like, oh, I'm sorry you feel that way. That's not an apology. Don't fucking say that. Fucking say the words, I'm sorry. That's all you have to say. And mean yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> it was, yeah. Going back to Barbara figuring out that the TARDIS is sentient. Uh, I mean, this is... This is the other, uh, yeah, another like extremely been logic. I feel just in the sense of uh, okay, it, it's really the time thing. The TARDIS was trying to warn us because it took time away from us. Yeah, I had no idea what, you, what the hell they were talking about. What are you talking about? Was that the clock melting? I'm assuming so because like we didn't lose, we didn't literally lose time. <laughs> yeah, we're in the middle of a time machine. I'm not sure what you mean by we're it took time away from us. Yeah, I was like, I, I think the TARDIS is alive because it's trying to warn us by making Susan into a serial killer for like five minutes and um, lighting some stuff up. Yeah, because this is something we we uh, barely really touched on. At, on two separate occasions, Susan like takes a pair of scissors and is trying to, and like attacks Ian and Barbara. Probably for a really good reason, I'm sure. Uh, shame the show never told us what that reason is. Um but <laughs> so yeah i think that's it i think that's all my points i think that's all my ranting yeah um so i'll i'll go through some trivia that i uh didn't get a chance to say and then we'll do final thoughts how's that sound this is definitely going to be a uh, a shorter episode which makes sense because there's only two episodes of this story and also it balances out the fucking mile long episode we had last time yeah, uh, apparently Verity Lambert, who I'm pretty... Let me double check my notes. Verity Lambert was the producer, yeah. Um, Verity Lambert had to write a letter of apology when the show was... Uh, when this episode was first published uh, to the BBC Children's Department because it made complaints because Susan was wielding a pair of scissors and attacking people. And they're <laughs> like, you can't have that on television. Verity Lambert's like, fucking just did. Um... <laughs> No givesy backsies. I'm kind of half and half on whether I like, on whether I really like this episode or not. And apparently the cast was too, because half the cast loved the script and the other half fucking hated it. I gotta know which ones hated it. Uh, William Hartnell did not like, did not like it, but not for the reason you think. He didn't like it because the doctor had a lot fewer lines in this story than he did in previous ones. <laughs> which sounds very okay. actorish yes carol ann ford meanwhile really didn't like the didn't like the fact that the characters just appeared insane for seemingly no reason and didn't understand why that was oh you know she had like a sensible reason and like the major complaint of the episode <laughs> yeah uh meanwhile william russell and jacqueline hill loved the chance to explore their characters in a bit more depth to be able to have them in a more personal setting where there's just interaction between the main cast. Which, so I, I agree with the both of them, and I also agree with Carol Ann Ford. William Hartnell can get over himself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel like Barbara got way more development than Ian. Like, Ian was there. He certainly reacted to things, but I feel like this this was a Barbara arc through and through. Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad for that because Ian was the one who did everything in the previous stories. Mm -hmm. So it's good. It's good when Barbara gets another chance to 
do shit. But uh, yeah, let's go ahead and go into final thoughts. I know that we've we've uh, touched on most of it, but I do think that, like if I'm ranking the episodes, I do think that this one's probably at the top. But as I said, I am predicting it being dethroned at some point. What do you think? What do you think on that? I hmm, I think overall I liked the Daleks more. What I appreciate about this episode is its brevity. I definitely feel like things happened a lot more. Uh, I hope there's more just like back-to-back stories. Like we get one, two, or three episodes and like, boom, there's, this, there's the plot. Mm-hmm. Because my big critique of the Daleks is just that it's drawn out. But the Daleks has like a more cohesive story and mm-hmm. like actual development and yeah. So I'm going to put it between the Daleks and an unearthly child. So it's number two for me right now. Okay, that's fair. I I did like I did like that the doctor the doctor didn't come up with the solution. It was his companions that did, which I feel like is something that causes a turning point with the relationship between him and his companions. I think this is this is a proof to the doctor that I mean, we'll see if this turns out to be true, but it was proof to the doctor that he could rely on these people and not only that that he needs to rely on these people because it was such a a simple solution to this complicated problem and he didn't realize it. He mentions to a Susan that his uh that uh, your old grandfather is is uh, going around the bend, I think, which is really funny that this is the youngest <laughs> doctor we will see. <laughs> so I liked that this this bottle episode um kind of helped the crew become more of a cohesive unit rather than just following the doctor because he knows what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, which is what that, that aspect is kind of what puts it at the top of my list. I liked, I liked the interaction between the crew. Yeah, I'd agree. I, I definitely like the interactions. I feel like if we just took the pacing of this episode and the character development of this episode and gave it the, cohesiveness of something like the daleks we might actually have an episode i would actually like and not Mm -hmm. like like ironically Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely and you know there will be episodes like that later they're still they're still getting their sea legs so to speak so to speak yeah we still haven't reached an episode yet where like a a entire story where i'm like yeah i actually like genuinely like that i would go back and watch it again yeah i was um I was going through and um, to like count the number of episodes in the in the series to figure out what's what's the average. And I went through and there's some there's some stories later where I'm like, oh, that's a good one. Oh, that's a real good one, too. Oh, man, I can't wait for that one, too. Um, So, like, it will happen. You just got to have faith. (laughs) I'm sure it will. I have a feeling that maybe like that. I don't know if I'll have to wait until the 80s, but I definitely feel like the 80s arc, I, or I'm hoping I like the 80s arcs, because I, I used to really like the show Columbo when I was a kid, mm-hmm. and I feel like that might just be American Doctor Who. It kind of is. It kind of is. I never watched Columbo, but from what I've what I've seen of it, yeah, I can I can definitely see that. I can, I can see Columbo being the Doctor. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that would be great. I was about to say, this is going to sound weird. But the show gets gets a whole lot better once it's in color, which I think is true. There is 
I think the quality of the show is definitely up once it once it gets in color. That being said, like one of my favorite characters is still while it's in black and white. So it's kind of hard for me to say that that's when it gets good, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, I definitely feel like even just having color, if nothing else changed about the show and it's just in color, I think I would enjoy it more. Because I do feel like there's certain things that are just lost in translation. Yeah. Because it's in black and white. I mean, they even refer to colors, and I'm like, wow, I wish I could see that. Yeah, especially, um, I think I think the, the two parts that stand out to me that this show, this episode being in black and white really suffered for it was a the watches being borked or whatever and you couldn't really tell and the entire uh fault locator Mm -hmm. glowing i couldn't tell that's what was happening i didn't Mm -hmm. realize that's what was happening until someone said that's what happened yeah i really don't have anything else to say it was fine i'll see i'll see if i like the next episode (laughs) yeah well that's it for us today guys thank you for listening be sure to follow podcast at Quick Trip DW on Twitter. You can listen to us on all major podcast networks such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. If you want to follow me, you can follow me on Twitter at COB underscore Clark and on Instagram at Celebrity620. And you can follow me on Twitter at MacTheMeh, all one word. Uh, you can subscribe to my YouTube channel, which is MacTheMeh, three words. All right, and we will see you guys next time. Uh, Join us next time on our quick trip through space and time in which we listen to the first missing Doctor Who story, and we will hopefully get another opportunity for Barbara to actually have something to do in Marco Polo. Great idea drinking a beer right before recording, Mac. Thanks, asshole. All right. <laughs> That's what I've done every episode, so. Except this time I had a knockoff cola. Ooh.